Welcome, everybody, to the Find Flow podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott. And today's guest is Charles Araujo. Um, and uh, I got that right. <laughs> Every time I now I, I, I talk, I'm going to like say your name. I'm going to think that it's. Uh, but um, the uh, so Charles and I have known each other for, I don't know, what, about six months now? We're kind of working on a couple things about. together. Um, I, I love working with Charles. He just has such a great out. Um, you know, great outlook on on digital transformation and digital services. So Charles is a, um, he runs the Digital Experience Report. Uh, he's been, he's a author, a writer, content producer, keynote speaker. You're kind of all over the place. But Charles, why don't you give the audience a little bit of idea of what you do and better than I can. Hey, you, you, I feel like that maybe sounds a little schizophrenic. Maybe <laughs> I am. I don't know. I can't I can't decide what I want to work on. Uh, so, so I think the probably the most important thing for this audience to know is that I'm an IT guy. I ran IT operations for about a billion dollar healthcare firm twenty some odd years ago. Spent another decade running large scale transformation programs for mostly large financial services and healthcare firms. And then along the way, I saw that the world of IT was changing. Being this sort of IT leader guy. I was like, well, this is all this stuff is happening. And so I ended up uh, being like this crazy preacher on the sidewalk going, you must transform to the execs I was working with. And they asked me, well, it's like, okay, fine. But then why? What's coming? What's you know, what's going on? And so uh, it, that actually led me to write this book called The Quantum Age of IT, Why Everything You Know About IT Is About to Change. And Ironically, I joke, what it really changed was my career path. The week it got published, I got an invitation to come speak at a conference in Amsterdam. And suddenly I'm traveling all over the world, talking about the future of IT and what it meant to be a leader in that future, having an absolute great time and having no idea what I'm doing. So it started me on this journey of, of really kind of exploring what it's all about. That's, that's led to a couple of things. I, I shifted the focus from IT transformation. It's almost seven years ago now, back before digital transformation was cool. I started talking about it. I actually gave a speech in New Zealand where I was the number two topic, trending topic on Twitter for like an hour, which was super exciting, except that, you know, I lived in LA at the time and LA's population was like five times the size of New Zealand. So, you know, it's not all that, but it was still fun. Um, and uh, eventually led me to shift my focus as I got really frustrated that everyone was talking about the fact that, you know, digital transformation this and digital transformation that just sort of throwing the term around that, they were missing what it really meant. So I, uh, I put the analyst hat on five years ago and, and over the last two or three years really started shifting my focus to this idea of the digital experience as a driver of value in the enterprise as the sort of true meaning of what digital transformation was really all about. And so that's been really my focus for the last three years. And then in February, I launched the digital experience report to really just focus all my attention there. So I cover a broad range of technologies that I think are all supporting it, um, as well as kind of helping enterprise leaders just in terms of the content I produce, try to make sense of everything around that. So uh, today I consider myself an author, a speaker, and an analyst covering what I call the X-Tech market. So this space of the technologies that support the digital the digital. That's experience. awesome. So um, we've had a lot of conversations, right, about digital transformation. And to me, it's a, it's, it's frustrating because it's it's one of these words now that are terms that's being it's pro, proliferating everywhere and everyone's using it, and that's what happens in marketing, right? Someone gets a hold of a term like digital transformation or AI ops or customer experience, even right, and 
everything now becomes around that and there's so much now now everybody does digital transformation so in your so so in your mind like what does digital transformation really mean like what what should we kind of center in on a, on a definition for this conversation yeah so i blame both tech companies who, like you said, from a marketing perspective, love to slap it. But in, in this case, it's also enterprise executives are start, sort of to blame because if they needed funding for a project they've been wanting to do for three years, they went to their board or to the, to the buying and said, you know, hey, this is part of digital transformation. And it just became the way to sell everything internally and externally. So, yeah, it became a real, real problem. But so here and this is actually the journey that I, I went through over the last three years as I, too, got very frustrated with all of it. And here's what I came to understand is that when we talk about digital transformation, what we're really talking about is the shift in power throughout the industrial age. It was the, the power resided within the organization. The way enterprises created value was through optimization and efficiency. It was the era of supply chains and assembly lines, and you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Right. And that started to shift over time, but but it's sort of the pinnacle of that was sort of like Walmart, right? They rose to prominence through the creation of these just amazingly efficient supply chains. They could deliver these massive amounts of goods across the world and deliver them incredibly inexpensively. That's how you created value. If you look back over the last decade or so, and I realized this when I wrote my first book, but didn't like actually truly get my head around it. You saw that those organizations that were disruptive, the Airbnbs, the Ubers, the Amazons, they were not out optimizing these organizations that have been around forever, right? I mean, Amazon, just to use them as the, as the simple example, they're incredibly efficient, highly optimized. But the reason they were able to dis be disruptive was that they were transforming the nature of the customer experience. And so what I think we're really seeing is this: there's just been this shift in power that is now the customer that's in control. And it's those organizations that can deliver an experience that the customer wants and is willing to pay for, especially because technology has lowered switching costs so much, that are actually what is driving the net, the new value creation model for the enterprise. And that's, I think, the true essence of digital transformation. Digital transformation is about, A, the underlying cause of that shift in power, and then, B, how organizations are adapting themselves to leveraging technology to sort of accept this new reality and compete within it. And that's what's driving all of this, and there's a whole bunch of other pieces to it, but that's, that's what's really driving it. So when I think about digital transformation, that's what we're talking about. And if, if you're running a project and it's not somehow you can't connect it to that story, then I think it's probably not digital transformation. I, I think that is probably one of the best definitions I've ever heard, right? Because we get so caught up in, in digital transformation and mobile experience and kind of the, the execute. So many people describe digital transformation through the execution of, of, of it, right? And digital, and I've probably been guilty of that, right? When we talk about, you know, digitizing, you know, like, like in the, during the pandemic, right? I mean, if, if you didn't have some type of mobile way of ordering food from your restaurant, you probably weren't having anybody come in and buy food from you and you weren't going to be in business. And I think that accelerated the execution, but your, your definition of shift of power, I think is just really, really succinct because you go back to all those examples like the pandemic and, and restaurants and takeout and curbside, things like that, and ordering through. And I mean, you look at like DoorDash and these companies, right? Three years ago, they were on verge of going bankrupt, right? I mean, Uber was Uber Eats was just hemorrhaging money, billions of dollars, trying to figure out if this is a model. Then the pandemic hits and now everyone's doing it, right? 
And but what it did is it shifted the power to the consumer, right? It shifted. I can go pick up my food now whenever I want. I can order how I want. I can get it delivered when I want. And everyone else is now has to kind of adjust to that. And we're seeing, you're seeing that across, the, you know, like with cars, right? You know, and buying a car. I mean, I mean, buying a car used to be just an awful experience. I mean, I just bought a car for my daughter and it was pretty awful because I had to go into the dealership. But now if you can go on to Vroom and things like that and buy the car and have them drop it off of your house, um, you're putting the power into the consumer and they can actually do better research. They can get a better experience and they have choices, you know, so that's, that's a great, great experience. So, so now you've got this, if, if you're an IT executive, right. And you're thinking, okay. And by the way, I think that's such a, a great way of, of kind of getting to the next level of is how does IT play in positioning a company to be more competitive, Right. Because I think if you go back 10 years ago, as you said, it was about the internal workings and how to make companies more efficient. But now digital transformation, if it's shifting power to the consumer, you've got to be thinking as an IT leader, how are we going to be more competitive? How are we going to deliver this service and this application? What are our, what are our competitors doing and how can we out innovate them and delight the customer? Right. So, so, so my question to you is when IT leaders are sitting down now thinking about their vision for the next three years, how should they be thinking about digital transformation in the context of being more competitive and actually getting a seat at the table, you know, at the executive table of, Hey, we can be more competitive. Well, so first of all, they need to have a vision. I think that there is still an issue within a lot of IT organizations that it's just been a machine that has been rolling along and it's been the sort of reactive process. The, the IT executives that quote unquote have that seat at the table that I know, they, they have it simply because they, they started having the conversations at the right level. They were talking about this vision about how technology was the lever of, of competitiveness, right? The lever of value creation. And so that's, that's part of it is, is articulating that vision. I, I think what you said a lot of interesting things in there and, and you hinted at something that is very challenging in this and that we as humans, we have long memories, um, doesn't always seem that way, but we do. And, and we are, are creatures of habit of routine and so there's a bunch of breakdowns. You mentioned like Uber Eats and those these folks that were struggling at the beginning. They were disruptive, but it took the pandemic to accelerate it because the pandemic disrupted all those habits yeah. and routines. And so it, it forced you into a shifted pattern. And then once that pattern was shifted, you said, oh, wow, this is so much better. This is so much nicer. So even when things started to ease and you could go back, so many things have not. It's also, I don't want to get us off track, but that's also going to affect the future of work and people trying to drive people back to the office for the exact same reason, is that once you reset the paradigm, it's very hard to drive it back. The challenge as you're driving behavioral change within people and organizations is you have to reset the paradigm. So for IT organizations, the big challenge is that we literally have, and in my first book, I actually went back and did this entire chronicle on the history of the how the IT organization was formed. And what is really fascinating is the IT organization may be the only functional team within the enterprise that was not deliberately created. It happened sort of by accident, the way, and it has to do with the way IBM sold their technology. It's this really sort of fascinating history. But nevertheless, the 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 function of IT sort of just evolved. 
And as it evolved, you had a whole bunch of these sort of the way we work get heavily ingrained into this sort of cultural dynamic. And so I think one of the challenges that we have when we talk about digital transformation in so many organizations is that what happened inevitably is even if you had someone who was visionary, they would come and run smack into these organizational dynamics of this is how we've always functioned. This is how we've always worked. This is what we're used to. Even the structural um, organizational models have impacted this. You know, we talked about this the other day in one of our other meetings. And so, so all of these things sort of come together and it all gets just really um, embedded. And so when you're talking about digital transformation from an IT leadership standpoint, I think you need to be talking about two things. A, you have to have that vision. You have to start going outside in, asking yourself, how is technology going to be an enabler of competitive value? And what is the role that we can play in supporting that? And it's not an isolation because it's going to be fundamentally business driven. And then the second thing is, once you sort of understand that, what are you going to need to do to transform your organization, the IT function, and reset some of the, these paradigms, which frankly starts in many ways with identities, right? How do IT professionals see themselves and see their role within the organization? So I think it's really a combination of these two parts that need to come together to make it. Fit. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, perspective because I think the the idea of of um, paradigms, right, is so critical, and we see it all the time in uh, and, and and humans, right, and are we are by nature, right, lazy, right, and we we want to live in our comfort zone, and you know how many times you know have we seen things, you know, people live in their comfort zone, and you're trying to pull somebody out when they finally get out. And they see see the opportunity, like, oh, I never knew this really existed. You know, it's like, yeah, because you're in your comfort zone. And this is one of the big things we deal with in the IT world, right? Is just trying to get people out of their comfort zones. But you know, back to kind of uh, the the macro, I, I I I think about this a lot, right? When it comes down to remote work, and like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down your rat hole for a second on this, because what changed about that was, I mean, we've had video conferencing, we've had WebEx and things like that for years, you know. Um, and it was moderately used. I mean, we're a consulting company and I was, I was a leader that basically said, Hey, I really want my leaders around me. I think we make better decisions when we're close and in proximity. And then, but what ended up happening is with the pandemic, it shifted everyone's behavior. So everybody had to move towards remote work. It wasn't like a third of the population did everybody moved. And that allowed us to reset, right? And I think that this is, I'm, I mean, I have a lot of friends that are in real estate and corporate real estate, and I'm really confused as to what the future is looking like in corporate real estate, right? Because, you know, it's this shift happened so fast and, and has really dug roots in and very, very quickly that I don't know how we go back to where it was or if we do go back. And even, you know, I talked to a lot of companies that are trying to, you know, they're like, hey, we're, we're moving to a hybrid work model, but they can't get people to come in, right? And um, and we actually are moving completely remote, right? In August, when our lease is up, we're, we're, we're no more offices for our companies, and we're going to be 100% remote because we found that it really didn't matter, right? And um, so it's this comfort zone, I think, is is one of the things that we see all the time, especially in IT projects, right, of just why do projects fail? 
I contend that a lot of IT projects fail because of communication and um, and helping people see, you know, move out of the comfort zone of how they do things every day. And it begins with that vision, right? It begins with a vision and communicating that vision to help people understand, you know, hey, there is a different way of doing business and there's, there is benefit to you to move, making this move. Well, so I don't know if you want to go how far down this rat hole you want to go, but but you open the door. I guess I open the door, you walk through it. So we're going to hold hands and go through it for a second. Um, because I do think the, the, the whole future of work question and really the future of the office is what we're almost talking about more so here, I think is interesting. I, I, I don't know that I completely subscribe to the view that we're going to see the entire world go fully remote. First of all, here's a, a staggering number for all of us that work in this space. Um, even at the height of the pandemic, it was only something like 35% of the U.S. population that actually worked remotely, right? There is so much of our world that requires in-person, whether that's delivery mm-hmm. of goods or whatever. It is. It was a staggering number when I read it. Um, I can't remember who, but it was a reputable source that, it, you know, those of us that live in tech, we thought, oh, the whole world shut down. The world, whole world really mm-hmm. didn't shut down. It was just this, you know, our part yeah. of it <laughs> all went remote. So that's one aspect. But the second thing is, uh, you know, I've worked from home for 25 years. Uh, as you can probably tell, I'm not actually working from home anymore, which is, a you know, because I'm I'm like the green star belly, whatever the thing is from Dr. Seuss. Once everyone gets it, I want the opposite. So apparently I went the other direction. But having worked from home for 25 years and having been an extremely, I, I ran a fully remote company 20 years ago. And it was really fascinating because there were plenty of people that I tried to bring on that couldn't work from home, mm-hmm. not effectively. And so I think we're going to see, you know, when people talk about hybrid work and most people right now translate hybrid work to me, you know, I'm gonna work some time at home and some time in the office. And I don't think that's what it's gonna turn into. Hybrid work is going to be a complete reshuffling of this paradigm to say that there are some things that we will as an organization do better when we are together in physical proximity. And there are some things that we're going to do better and be more productive at when we are all separate in our spaces, working from wherever that is. And there's going to be some things where it's going to be roll your own. It's going to be up to the employee to say, hey, what works best for me? Um, I'm a huge, I'm very bullish on the metaverse because the metaverse creates a digital version of this, or at least the opportunity for a potential digital version of this, which may give us a third sort of pathway. But I'm actually a big fan that I think organizations for for the most part are in fact going to find they do want offices, but they're not going to be an office that everyone shows up necessarily. It works at every day. It's going to be a reshuffling of what that looks like. And I think that that is a story that is yet to be told or even fully understood. So I think it's interesting. And what now here's another part to bring it back to the previous conversation you asked about if I'm an IT leader, what do I do with this? Because I think the answer is the same for both of these. When I talk to an IT leader and said they say, well, how do I get break this paradigm? How do I start focusing on the customer and how the organization creates value? I tell them they need to combine two things, two ways of thinking, and that is design thinking and systems thinking. Design thinking is this function where you are looking at the, how, you know, serving the customer and how they're experiencing everything and working backwards to then design the product that you would deliver to them, right? comes from the Stanford Design School. And then systems thinking from Peter Senge and I forgot the name of the other authors in the fifth principle is this idea of understanding the unintended consequences of complex systems and how they interact. 
And a successful IT organization is one that's going to be bringing these two together, using design thinking principles to understand the value creation models, but recognizing that the delivery of IT services are insanely complex. So you have to bring the systems thinking concepts into this and plug them together. If I apply this into the future of work, it's the exact same thing. It's, you know, in this case, my product is the work product. My customer is the employee. And I have to start by understanding what's going to serve them best. How do I create value? And then look at all the back end systems complexity of the organizational dynamics and say, how do I weld this together? And how do I envision new ways of doing it? So I think the same fundamental approaches are going to be useful in both of these contexts, whether you're talking about digital transformation or you're talking about transforming your organizational culture for this new way of working. Yeah. I, so I'm going to, I'm going to stay in the rat hole for one more step and then we're going to come out of this rat hole, but let's, we'll tie it back to the very beginning of the conversation. The, the remote, the pandemic shifted power, right? It shifted power back to the employee. And I mean, I know plenty of executives and companies right now that don't have the power. They, they can't get their employees to come back. And the, and the question is, I want them to come back into the office but I can't force them because I do, they're going to leave. Right. And they'll, and we've got this crazy job market going on right now where you can't leave and re, you know, retention is everything. So the power, you know, this, this, this pandemic has created a power shift back to the employees, at least around location of work and, and redefining the idea of productivity. Now IT leaders, as you said, they need to start understanding, okay, how do we, how do we, react and how do we deliver on this, this shift of power back? So I, I, you know, I, I've started a couple software companies, right? And I've, I talk about this a lot and I think you and I've actually had a conversation. Are IT organizations set up, right? Or, or even capable right now of doing what you just said, because it really takes a product management approach to delivering IT services to make this happen. And product managers in, in the companies that I've started are some of the most important people because they're out there talking to customers. They're trying to understand that customer experience. They're pulling that information back. They're translating into, into, into technology requirements. They're prioritizing this over that. I don't know how good the IT industry and IT organizations really are at that. So what are your thoughts? So I think we have to acknowledge this is a difficult transition. Uh, so, but, but I don't think it's insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think, but I think here's where we run into issues. Is it too many executives think that they can mandate it or that it's, it's not, it's not everything. And, and I guess what I mean by that is if you're going to drive this, it is fundamentally a cultural transformation. And, and like, I actually wrote an article critical of, product management approaches within IT. Not because I have anything, I, I agree with you that that is, it is the right model of how you look at it, but simply reorganizing yourselves into product teams, all you're doing is- I, I totally agree. I think it's a, I think it's and, a new skill and, set, right? Yeah, it, it is. It's a new skill set. It's a new cultural paradigm. It's a new way of working. It's all of these. And, and this is the challenge that I think IT, and it's not just IT, enterprises in general, struggle with, and that is that they just don't recognize the the challenges of shifting the cultural dynamic and what that means. And it, that 
that starts at the top, right? And how you execute change involves, you know, top to bottom. But if, if the leadership team doesn't believe that the cultural change is necessary and invest what's necessary, not, not just from a, like a, a money and, you know, necess- not necessarily hiring consultants, but investing the energy to do that, then that's what's going to struggle. So do I think it's possible? Absolutely. Do I think many organizations are prepared to go down that road right now? I'm, I'm not as sure, right? I think, what, what I do think is interesting, I actually should do a study on this. I do What I do think is interesting is that if you go and look at the organizations, the IT organizations that are, are viewed as wildly successful, wildly impactful within their organizations, creating innovations, driving value creation, I think you'll universally find, maybe not a product orientation structurally, but you will find that mindset, that cultural shift has taken place and it's came from um, a, a leader who recognized that that shift had to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think, you know, when I talked about the product management, it, it's to me, the question I ask is, are they capable of doing it? Because do they have the skill sets to do that? Right. And if you don't, then you have to go acquire them. Right. Because it is extremely difficult to take a developer, right. <laughs> this is the world I live in, right. Developers that are brilliant at, you know, creating features and capabilities, but you know they they can't design a UI, right? Like like I, I I had a I had a developer that was colorblind, you know, and you know I had another guy a, a, a UI guy that only had one eye, you know, and you know but that one eye was awesome, right? And but I, I think that <laughs> it it takes you gotta you gotta understand the skill sets and that that ability to communicate with customers and really empathize with how they're using your service and your product. It takes a very special person to do that. And you just, I think if you're looking in your organization and say, oh, well, you've been building apps for five years or 10 years. Um, you know how to do this. Uh, I'm going to make you our guy to go. I, I don't think that's going to work out as well. Yeah, well, and, and let's be careful here. So two things. One is many of these skills are teachable. So Part of this is, you know, empathy is a great word. I talk a lot about the need for empathy. Another way of looking at this is this idea of emotional curiosity. So what's interesting is is IT people are, are naturally creative. I used to do a speech on creativity and I would ask, and this is actually a little interesting data point, I'd ask executives, how many of you here do something creative in your spare time, play an instrument, write poetry, you know, do painting or, you know, whatever. And it would be like 5%. It was very, very little. Ask the developers, the network engineers, all of the the in the in the trenches IT folks, what percentage? And it was mm-hmm. like seventy, right? IT people are in fact naturally creative. The act of running an IT organization or executing the IT function is an act of creativity. The challenge is is that we tend to focus all that on the oh, isn't this cool? What technology can do? I, I we don't have enough time, so I won't share you my my kind of. Um, my journey of how I kind of got into IT, but it was exactly that. It was like, oh my God, look, what, what can I do with this? This is like really cool stuff. And it's like this really innate curiosity. This is about shifting the focus to what I call emotional curiosity, meaning what can yeah. others do with this? How is this affecting them? And I remember talking to, I used to travel to uh, Washington, D.C. a lot. And I was at the state of the same hotel and I got to know the manager and he got to know what I did and we used to drink wine together. And after a couple of glasses one day, he said, Charlie, if my IT team would just come and spend one day with me in my hotel and saw how their technology impacted my ability to serve my guests, I truly believe everything would change. 
this idea of just being curious about that and shifting that focus, I think is, is critical and teachable. And in the last little piece of there, you talked about what leaders need to do. A lot of this has to do with the structural dynamics of how we measure and reward performance. What do we consider performance? Especially if you're talking about developers, we're focusing on their ability to turn over the code, right? To move it through the pipeline. And if we create higher levels of incentives to ask the questions, to have that curiosity, to say, not just how do I do this, but is this the right thing to do? And Agile was supposed to do some of this, but it turned into just this big giant machine and we sort of lost the front end of what that was supposed to be. So I think I think that this is all very teachable and I think there's structural elements that that drive. Yeah, it's that interesting. Shift. That's a that's an interesting story. And because I and I have a short story there too, where this is just a couple months ago. I was at a place that rents tools, right? And I'm I'm renovating a place, so I'm renting tools, right? I have no capability to, I should not be renting tools, but I am. Um, and I, and I, it's a brand new place. All, all the tools are brand new. And she logs into the computer. She brings up this nice window, you know, of the, and then she brings up another window and it's like a VT terminal inside. And then she has to take her phone out and take a picture of a QR code of the new system and then use that to create, to go into the, uh, and I'm just watching this going, oh, we need to talk to your IT organization. This is insane. Yeah. You know, and this is like three months ago. Right. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, if we could get more IT people out into really understanding how these, these systems are being used by their end users, then, then that would be a good thing. So let's, let, so we're kind of running out of time right now. One thing I really wanted to talk to you about um, is, the you know the digital experience value engine, right? And that's a I love that term. So talk a little bit about what that is and what your perspective is on that. So I mentioned my journey and that I started focusing on the digital experience and I realized that I needed a way to articulate this. So the digital experience value engine is simply a way of saying that as you complete this transition, that Throughout the industrial age, we had mechanisms to repeatedly create value. We had supply chains, we had you know, highly detailed and intricate business processes, et cetera. So in the digital era, if, if the creator, the lever of value creation is now the customer experience, then we need something similar to reorganize ourselves to repeatedly create that value. And so the digital experience value engine is just a framework that says, if the customer experience is the center of this value creation model, then the first thing is we have to recognize is you have to re-envision your business model to deliver this new customer experience that allows you to differentiate in the market. The minute you do that, you realize that all these industrial age operating models that you use to support your industrial age business model no longer work. And you have to now transform those operating models. And then to the conversation we just had a minute ago, once you start transforming those operating models, you recognize that the fundamental management models you use to organize your human resources, your people, your teams, also has to change because these operating models are shifting. And one little nasty little fact is that the customer experience, unlike optimization, which was semi-permanent, that once I built a supply chain or a, a, an assembly line, it was pretty repeatable and I didn't have to do much than maintain it. The digital experience or the customer experience is up to you and me. We wake up every day and you know if Apple introduces a new feature on the phone, that just shifts my perception of the experience that I now expect from every other piece of technology that I interact with. 
Um, not just no different than that. You know, you go to that tool maker or the tool rental place, and if that's the only game in town and that's what you're used to, but the a tool rental place opens up next door and they have a better system, the experience expectations just shifted, right? And so because the experiential expectations are in this con continual state of shifting, then this transformational loop of business model, operating model, and management model transformation are also in a continual state of transformation. So you end up with this sort of continual transformational loop on one side. And then on the other end of it, you have to, you very quickly realize, actually, your tool rental place is a classic example of this, is that the customer experience does not stand alone. The employee experience, so in this case, those flipping ridiculous set of tools she had to use directly impacted her ability to serve you as a customer. Even though you weren't interacting with those systems directly, the employee experience has a direct interaction sure. with the customer experience. Not to mention we're also dealing with with retention and, and attraction of employees these days. But um, And then the ecosystem experience, right? As we're dealing, no experience stands alone. We're integrating incredibly tightly with various partners to deliver any service that we're providing. So you have the sort of triangle on the other side of this where the customer experience, uh, ecosystem experience, and employee experience all come together into this unified digital experience. They all sit on top of traditional supply chains and service models. You still have to be optimized. You still have to be efficient. Otherwise, you're going to go out of business. Um, and then it's enveloped by this ecosystem of technologies that I call the X-Tech market, which are all the different technologies that are necessary to support this digital experience. So when I talk about the digital experience value engine, it basically means as an organization, you need to be looking at all of these and you need to look at them back to systems thinking as one integrated interwoven system that you have to be building a capability for continuous transformation. You have to be looking at every dimension of the experience as a unified Whole, you need to be integrating all of that to these traditional models. You need to be leveraging technology in a integrated fashion, not just as a sort of siloed approach where you're just doing whatever and instead looking at how these technologies are supporting the experience. So that's when I talk about the digital experience value. Yeah, that's, that's, about. you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that you brought up the employee experience, right? Because I think that gets lost a lot in the conversation. But, you know, Richard Branson, you know, I mean, you ask Richard Branson, what's the most important part of his business? It's the employees. Take care of your employees. They take care of the customer. And you're absolutely right. I mean, employees that are not having a good experience are not going to be the best advocates for your to your customer. They're just they're just going to they're not. And maybe morale is down and things like that. So and this idea of continuous transformation is, um, it, you know, it's it's just never ending. Right. And because, you know the market's never ending your customer expectations are changing your competitors are changing your competitors are innovating you may out innovate them and then they'll out innovate you it's always this leapfrog and that's that's the beauty of you know you know the capitalistic society is that you know innovation drives more innovation and uh but you can just never stop right and and uh, so that's, I think that's a great place to stop. So um, I wanted to give you a plug on your, your digital experience report. You want to talk a little bit about that real quick and then. Yeah. So if you're following what Substack is doing, they're sort of reinventing the idea of the newsletter. So the digital experience report, it's not on Substack, but it's, it's, it's the, it's an industry newsletter. So it's free to sign up by, and you can do it either on at digitalexperiencereport.com or you can also follow it on LinkedIn. I publish it both places. Um, and it's just a mostly weekly, I'm not horribly consistent, but mostly a weekly newsletter where I provide analysis on sort of everything we've been talking about. So I cover a whole range of topics, but all under the big banner of the digital experience. And awesome. so, yeah, well, I definitely will. Up. 
Well, Charlie, this has been great. Thank you very much. I'm, we, we work on things on the side together that allow us to talk about, you know, snippets about stuff. So this has been very enjoyable for me for the last half an hour to really kind of have a deep conversation. Love to have you back sometime and, uh, and even dig deeper into this, you know, digital experience value engine, which I find fascinating. So uh, with that, thank you very much. And I appreciate you coming on. Take care. Thanks for having me.